Psalm 23, verse 1, a Psalm of David, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today we find ourselves at verse 5 where it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So let's talk today about how Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who prevails in battle, how he dines us. He dines us. The Lord of hosts dines us. Let's pray. What an amazing God you are. You love us so, and it was obviously demonstrated through the cross of Jesus that you gave your life, you became bludgeoned, beaten, bruised, everything, even separated momentarily from your father to bring us in. You showed us your love to the full extent by dying for us, Jesus. But we thank you, Lord, that you not only care about our soul, you care about our whole personhood, body, soul, and spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that you want us to prosper in our souls, prosper in our bodies, prosper in every way. You're a good father, and we thank you for your plan to redeem, to restore creation, even beyond what it was before Adam and Eve fell into sin and thus cursed your creation. We thank you for the promise that you are coming again, and we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until that time, we will occupy. Until that time, we will stand on your promises. Until that time, we will be your body, your hands and your feet, and even your mouth in the earth. And so, Lord, uh, for this word today, would you minister to us and encourage us with the fact that as our shepherd, you dine us. You've prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And so, Lord, I pray that you would unpack this passage today that we might leave here once again more convinced of who you are and thereby giving us grace and strength to know who we are as a result. We bless you. We thank you for your word. We know that it will not return void. I pray that it will hit all of our hearts, starting with mine, and produce fruit in keeping with repentance, some 30-fold, 60 and even 100. We praise you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, we have been trekking through Psalm 23. And our approach to this psalm has been we want to look at it through new eyes, with a new perspective. Because typically when we read the Bible as Westerners, as Americans, we read it with the devotional method. And that is, what do we get out of it? How can I apply this? And and that's good and it has its place. But sometimes we can miss the intended meaning of a text because we can be so self-absorbed as a people that before we talk about what I can get out of this text, Lord, give us the grace that we can see you in the text. 
And Psalm 23, yes, it speaks a whole lot about the benefits of being a sheep under the Lord's care. Yes, it does. We are so blessed. But we don't want to be so self-absorbed that we miss all that the shepherd has done and is doing to put the sheep in the place where they can be as blessed as we are. So a fresh look at Psalm 23 is a fresh look at the shepherd. And oh, how beautiful our shepherd is. Because if I can live my life looking more at Jesus and less at myself, my life will have more joy, more purpose, more fulfillment. But when I spend my life waking up, focusing on myself as opposed to focusing on the God who gave me the grace and the strength to wake up, then it's just an entire paradigm shift. That's why Paul said in the book of Colossians to seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, Lord, teach us how to reorder our mind, our eyes, because what we focus on the most is what we give the most power to. So even when we read these psalms, help us to see you. Help us to see the shepherd in a way in which we've never seen him before. Hebrews 2.9 says, but we see Jesus. Now, the writer of Hebrews, just for a little sidebar, he is making a point in his letter where he's mentioning how Jesus is better than all of the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus, we must see Jesus because those things are types of the real thing. And now that the real thing, the real one, the Christ has come, we don't want to focus so much on the types, the things that try to represent him. We want to look at Jesus so no wonder. In 1922, Helen Lamel wrote, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Some of you know this, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So when we read Psalm 23, may we see the shepherd at work. When we read Psalm 23, may we see his power, his beauty, his wonder, and his majesty. Now today, as we discuss verse 5, and we talk about enemies today, the same principle and the same concept remains. And that is as we talk about our enemies, because we all have them, if you live long enough, you're going to have enemies. And unfortunately, you're going to be an enemy. Uh, I believe it's in the movie Batman, one of the movies where they talked about the hero that you're going to live long enough to one day become a villain. And so because we're fallen, we have had enemies, we have been enemies, but today is a new day and the Lord is dispensing grace and mercy and I say Lord have your way but as we look at this passage the same principle remains and that is I'm not going to focus we should not focus on the reality of enemies we should instead focus on the beauty the power the presence of the one who invites us to die with him let us be preoccupied with the king, with the shepherd, with Jesus Christ, and not so much be preoccupied with our enemies. Because if we focus on our enemies, we will be miserable. In fact, we will be fearful. But I believe and I know to be true in my life that when we focus on the shepherd who invites us to dine with him, we will be peaceful, joyful, and hopeful. So here's the main point today. 
that whether they watch you dine from a distance or sit with you at the table, the shepherd wants you to know that your enemies cannot stop you. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so the Lord wants you to know that whether your enemies are standing from afar watching you eat, or if your enemies are even allowed and invited to come sit down at the table with you, it doesn't matter. They cannot stop what God has for you. And the reason why your enemies, and I know this is tough, but Jesus even said in the Gospels that there would come a time where he said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, and there would come a day where your enemies would be the members of your own household. And so some of us have enemies in our own household. We have unbelieving family members and parents and spouses and children and cousins. And, and, and it's not easy. This is not easy. But Jesus wants you to know that although you may have enemies, they can't stop what he has for you because the enemy... Satan could not stop Jesus Christ. And because the enemy could not stop Jesus Christ, the enemy cannot stop you if you're in Christ. And your enemies can't stop you. So today, let's be preoccupied with the one who always leads us in a triumphal procession. Today, in the midst of spiritual warfare, let us understand whose side we're on. We're on the winning side. We're behind Jesus, who is the captain of our salvation. And we are following him. And he is leading us. And the Bible says in the Psalms over and over again as it addresses the topic of enemies. Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And so that's the point today. The enemies, the enemy cannot stop God's children. You see, the weapon may form, but that doesn't mean it's going to prosper. It'll form. There will be schemes. There will be things that will come against you. But just because it comes against you, that doesn't mean that it will stop you. Because I read the last chapter and we win. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on and he names a multitude of things. And he even talks about the demonic realm. Anything that is against you, even death cannot separate you, which was the last enemy that Jesus defeated through his resurrection. So we're in a blessed place as conquerors because of Jesus Christ. So I pray that this message today will encourage your hearts. Because number one, if they watch you dine with the shepherd from a distance, your enemies cannot stop you. We got to know whose we are. They can't stop you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the valley of the shadow of death and how the shepherd leads his sheep on various excursions and he takes them from place to place to find green pastures, to find still waters, to move them, to get them exercising. And he takes them through mountainous places and plains and ups and downs and the, she the sheep are following the shepherd and every now and then he's going to take them through a place that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's the place of the valley of the shadow of death, a place of great darkness, a place where there can be danger, where there can be flash floods and there can be predators. But here's the thing that the sheep must know. Sheep are powerless. Sheep cannot defend themselves, but their shepherd can. He carries a rod and he carries a staff. He is packing. He will take care of his sheep because he's paid for his sheep and he knows each and every one of them, us, by name. But what happens is, is that the predators will come against the sheep. 
And when the predators come in the natural realm, we're talking about wolves and we're talking about coyotes and all other kinds of beasts and uh, vultures that will come against sheep, especially if they're cast and turned over on their back. They're helpless and they're open to be devoured. What happens is that the shepherd is able to take that rod and use the rod to defend the sheep against predators. And some of the materials that I've been reading talks about how a shepherd can use a rod almost like a boomerang. And he can throw it or she can throw it because there are shepherdesses who can throw that rod with pinpoint accuracy and hit a lion upside the head, hit a bear upside the head, and hit it in such a way where it flees and runs away. And so right there in the midst of danger, the shepherd is there. He is armed and he is dangerous and he knows how to throw that thing and I'd like to use my sanctified imagination and think that his rod is a lot like Captain America's shield that when he throws it it comes right back to him Boop! throws it comes right back to him because there's this magnetic thing well I won't talk about that but so 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 the shepherd knows how to protect his sheep and when the enemy comes against us we have the strong one standing for us. And he knows how to throw the rod, which is his word ultimately. When Jesus resisted Satan in the wilderness, he resisted Satan with truth, with the Bible. It is written. So Jesus throws the word. He expects us to throw the word, to use the word. And what happens is when the rod goes out, the enemy backs up. I said, when the rod goes out, the enemy backs up. And when the enemy backs up in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, after having been sent back by the shepherd's rod, they move back and they set up on the perimeter and they watch. If you've ever seen National Geographic and you may see lions go after a group of gazelles, I've seen some where Africans have walked out on the plain and then those carnivorous animals, those mean animals, they back up because they see those men walking and they have nothing but a staff in their hand. But those animals know to respect those men and they back up and they will even leave, leave a bludgeoned corpse that they have just killed. It's their dinner. But when those men walk out and they have the rod, they have their staff, those animals back off and they get back to the perimeter. And what happens many times is that those natives will then cut a limb off of what was killed and put it on their shoulder and take it back and then leave what's left for the animals. But the animals step back and they watch the shepherds take what they need and then they move in once the shepherd moves out. So the same principle that when the shepherd throws the rod, the enemies back up and they watch. But in this case with the Lord, it's not so much that he is trying to take a limb off of something. No, he's preparing a table for us in the valley of the shadow of death. A place where you're not supposed to have a table, where you're not supposed to sit down and have a peaceful conversation over a wonderful meal. But that's where our father wants to dine with us, to encourage us. Because what he's doing is he's trying to show you his power. That yeah, he could meet with you at some peaceful place somewhere, but no, he's going to meet with you right in the 
thick of it because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the fourth man who joined Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He'll jump right in the pain with you where you are, and he'll set a banquet table for you just to let you know that he has more power than whatever that thing or whatever those people are who are coming against you. And he'll say, sit down and let me take care of you. But not only is he trying to show you his power, but he's also showing the enemy his power because they have too much respect for the shepherd to break past the circumference and come that way. So they're going to stand back and all they can do is watch. And they're going to watch you eat because eating at the table is a sign of the blessings of the Lord. It's a sign of his bountiful blessings being poured out on you by mercy and grace. And you get to sit down with the king and dine with the king. And rather than focusing on the enemy who is out there in the, in the perimeter watching from the bushes, no, we are to focus on the Lord and enjoy dining with our hosts. And when our eyes go off to look because we're a little fearful, we have to go back to the one who can handle that beast that's out there in the wilderness, the one who can handle that vulture, the one who can handle that one who's shouting and screaming and trying to intimidate with a roar. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. You see, when God blesses you, don't let your enemies rob you of that special moment. Eat with your shepherd. And ignore them. Eat with your shepherd and ignore the haters. Enjoy what God has for you. Proverbs 10.22 says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. But we become sorrowful when we start looking around and listening to the voices of those who are against us. So some of you are saying, okay, pastor, okay, pastor. You're talking a lot about enemies. What is an enemy? Well, an enemy is an adversary, a slanderer, an accuser, a liar, a resister, a schemer, a sabotage artist, a deceiver. An enemy is a distorter, a hinderer, a ridiculer, a critic, an infiltrator, a sower of discord amongst the brothers and sisters. An enemy is a rouser, and an enemy is a hater. Wow, that's tough, but it's true. Young people call hating on one another as throwing shade. You know, you, you, you get a little bit of limelight and then somebody come in and throw some shade on your limelight, you know. <laughs> kind of like what LeBron James did the other day when he tried to throw some shade on Steph Curry's MVP. Oh, I won't go and stay that long, but all the brothers know what I'm talking about. Come on, LeBron, let that man enjoy that MVP. You've had two. Let, wh wh why you got to comment? You were throwing shade, or as we say, you were hating on my man. Because if you, listen to this, if you can't be happy for other people's accomplishments, you're a hater. Uh, you should be blessed when other people get blessed. Because, man, you, you should enjoy seeing people get awards and get married. Oh, don't be that salty person that show up at the wedding. Mm. I look better than him. I look better than her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> be happy. Be happy for the person. And if you're struggling, say, Lord, I'm struggling, but help me be happy for this person. 
somebody else get a new house and you're still in your apartment or somebody else get a new car and you're still riding your car that you got to push down the road to get it going. Don't hate on them. Don't hate because they had a child or they were able to adopt. Their process was different from yours. Don't hate on another pastor because that pastor got a new church or whatever, whatever. It's real. And you have enemies and I have enemies because of a few things. One, because we have Jesus. That's why we have enemies, because it's a spiritual thing. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. People aren't our problem. It's the spirit that affects and influences people. So we have to try to remember that as best we can, that it's not people. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. And when we became Christians, we crossed over from death to life. We left one kingdom and came into another kingdom. And so because we came into another kingdom, those forces who lost our soul, their main mission now is to wreck the joy of our salvation. So they set up all kinds of ramparts and all kinds of uh, uh, schemes against us to hinder our testimony, disqualify us, discourage us, depress us, all of that. So we're, we have enemies, not only Satan, but the demonic realm and those whom Satan has influence over because we're on another team now. We crossed over. We have enemies because we are blessed. You, 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 you will have enemies because you're blessed. And uh, uh, jealousy has a way of creating many enemies. That's why we're encouraged not to covet what someone else has. Because when we covet, what we're doing is we're saying we're not thankful for what the Lord is doing in our life. And I think that what someone else has is better and I should have it and I deserve it. And so when we get jealous of people, we become their enemies. King Saul had no reason to be jealous of David. King Saul had no reason to have an issue with David, but because of his insecurities, he was threatened by David because David's hand, the hand of the Lord was strong upon David, but he didn't have to be threatened by that. He should have been confident in who he was as Israel's first king. But many times we have enemies because we're blessed. We have enemies because we are a threat. Satan only fights whom he fears. And so if he can stop you, if, if you feel like, man, I've been bombarded, the evil day just seems like it's become an evil week, an evil month, an evil year, be encouraged, the Bible says. Don't think it's strange of these fiery trials. Count it all joy that the enemy is trying to stop you because you are a threat. Your assignment knocks down the gates of hell. It, it, it loosens his strongholds over people and areas. So expect there to be great counter moves against you in the spiritual realm because of what God has called you to be as an agent of light for his sake. But also we have enemies because we speak the truth. Satan hates the truth. And so we live in a world today where relevant truth is the order of the day. Now, what's relevant to me, you know, if I believe in transgender restrooms or if I believe in this, it's, it's what I believe. And it's kind of like the last verse of the book of Judges, where everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no standard of objective truth, and that's why the nation of Israel was struggling. And even today, our nation is struggling because we keep moving further and further away from objective biblical truth. 
And when people like us stand up and say what thus saith the Lord, expect to get stoned verbally. Expect to not be invited. Expect to be chastised. We speak the truth. And Paul said in Galatians 4.16, have I become your enemy because I've spoken the truth to you? And I know even in interpersonal relationships, sometimes we can get mad with people who speak the truth to us. But thank God for friends who will wound us well and do it in love. Because an enemy will multiply kisses. What they'll do is they'll pull an OJ on you. They smile in your face. But all the time they want to take your place, but they'll stab you right in the back. But a good friend will speak the truth to you and tell you what you need to hear, even if it's not what you want to hear. And you may even mistake that friend as an enemy. No, that's a good friend that's telling you what you need to hear. And that good friend might even be the person that you're married to. Oh, Lord. Baby, I don't want to hear that right now. Mm, faithful are the wounds of a wife. But I do like when you also kiss me too, baby. I know, I know, I know. Thank God. So we have enemies for many, many reasons, but we also have enemies for no good reason. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know how to fix this one up for you. But look at Psalm 35, 19. Psalm 35, 19. Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me Without a cause. Some folk just hate you because you're tall, because you're short, because you're black, because you're white, because you're male, because you're female, because you're rich, because you're not rich, because you're Pentecostal, because you're Presbyterian, because you went to this school, because you went to that school. Folks will hate you because you're light-skinned, because you're dark-skinned, because your hair is straight, because your hair is curled. They're just going to hate you because your heels are this. They're just going to hate you. But don't let it get you down. They're spending a lot of time looking at you, but don't you spend a lot of time looking at them. The last thing you want to do is become like your enemy. Don't become like, don't get caught up in that foolishness. You see, I had enemies when I started Strong Tower Bible Church. I had pastors in the community of Franklin, black pastors who told me it'll never work, don't do it. Don't try to bring black and white people together. Um, and so they were resisting what the Lord had given me, and they were even speaking negative things and trying to discourage me. Even when Nehemiah was building the walls around Jerusalem, Sanballat, Tobiah, all that, the, the, the Ammonite officials, they were trying to discourage Nehemiah from doing the work that God had called him to do. And had he listened to them, those walls would never have gotten up. So there comes a time where you just can't listen to the naysayers, the people putting you down, saying that it can't work, that you can't do it. And so I had ministers who told me that. I had a man tell me that what I think I'm building for God will be building blocks for the devil. Now, um, not long after he told me that, probably two years later, after Strong Tower Bible Church got started, this pastor lost his job, lost his church, and he came to Strong Tower to get money to help pay his light bill and get some food and all this kind of stuff. And when he came in, you see, the Bible says, do not gloat over your enemy when your enemy falls. So two years ago, this man was speaking against me, really hurt my spirit. And I said to myself, I'm not going back over to him to get any wisdom. I'm staying away from him. So two years later, he comes and he seeks help. And you see, God does it in such a way where he will make your enemies a footstool. But it's not for you to brag and to boast, but it's for you to look and say, look what the Lord has done. And let me love. And of course, we bless the man as much as we could. So he was coming to the institution that he was cursing before it ever even got started. 
And then there was another man that was an enemy of mine in the neighborhood, um, Denny Denson. Denny was against me because I was hanging with white people. I came into town and got hooked up with Christ Community Church, large white church. But I didn't know that there was still a civil war going on between Christ Community and First Missionary Baptist Church back in the day. I walked in, I was an innocent bystander, and all these bullets were flying back and forth between, I'm like, what's going on? And because I came in and I aligned myself with the white people, the black folks, like Reverend Denson, who used to be a Black Panther before he got saved, he was like, that's a sellout brother right there. He ain't a real brother. He's an Uncle Tom and all this kind of stuff. But I thank God for grace. I said, I thank God for grace. Because, again, I got defensive. I didn't know how to handle all of that. But I had a love for Denny. I was a little scared of him, too, but I had a love for Denny. Because Denny always carried a knife. He always had a weapon or something on him, you know. And then over time, Denny and I became great friends, even so much so that when he came to the end of his tenure of pastoring First Missionary Baptist, he joined Strong Tower Bible Church, and I became his pastor. And even when he went to go meet the Lord Jesus, he died. I was the one who oversaw his home going and was able to commit his body to the earth. So look what God did. He turned that situation around. But not only have I had enemies, but unfortunately, I have been people's enemies. I'm not proud to say that, but I'm fallen. I'm messed up. And I remember that there was a friend of mine who was very, very successful in what God had given him. And I began to throw shade on what God had given him. And I began to criticize and talk about and nitpick and act like a legalist and a Pharisee trying to find stuff wrong with what he was doing. And the more I talked about him, the more God blessed him. The more I tried to put him down, the more God lifted him up. And I just started getting convicted over why are you spending so much of your time focusing on what God is doing with this man? Mind your business. What God has for him is for him. And guess what? You can't stop it. And so I had to go to that man and I had to apologize to that man. I had to repent for being that man's enemy because I knew, number one, the Holy Spirit would not give me peace until I got right with him. And I went and I became his footstool. And I humbled myself. I said, brother, please forgive me. I repented. And then I also knew this as far as how the spiritual realm works. God can't do for me what he wants to do for me if I am negative against somebody else and trying to suppress and hold them down. I'm messing my blessing up by being a hater and an enemy to my brother in Christ. So I had to repent. I had to repent. And when I find myself in those foolish ways, criticizing other pastors, putting down other people, I repent. And I say, Lord, forgive me. Because here's the thing, as we'll see in a minute. Satan will use anything and anybody, even a Christian, to accomplish his agenda, which is to divide and conquer. And he'll use your mouth. You, he, he's a slanderer, he'll make you a slanderer. He's an accuser, he'll make you an accuser. He's one that tears down. He will use you to tear things down. And I said, no, Lord, no, you saved me out of that. I'm not letting the devil use me to do his work. I'm your child. I'm going to use my mouth to edify and to build up, not to tear down. And the Bible says anyway in the book of Romans chapter 15, I believe, why are you judging someone else's servant? The Lord is able to make that person stand. In other words, leave them alone. 
Mind your business and focus on the shepherd and yourself because he's holding a mirror at the table. Say, man, take a look at yourself, bro. Don't look that good, do it? Mm-hmm. Well, number two, as I keep moving towards a close, even if they dine with you at the table, your enemies still can't stop you. So if they move to the circumference, to the perimeter, all they can do is watch you eat. Jesus, would you pass the hot sauce? Jesus, would you pass the butter? Mm, this is so good. Thank you for the living water, Jesus. This is so good, Jesus. And all they're doing is watching you eat. And you, mm, this is so good. Ah, but sometimes the Lord will even let them come sit at the table with you. <laughs> Lord, why do you do that? Because I want to show you my power again. That I am so mighty that I will sometimes allow your enemies to dine with you. Because once again, they can sit next to you, but they still can't stop what I have for you. And I'm trying to make you like me anyway. What do you mean, Father? Well, I'm conforming you to the image of my son. And he's the one who prepares the table before us, Psalm 23. But there was another table he prepared, which was the table of all tables. And let's look at that as we close. I'm talking about the table that was in the upper room. I'm talking about the table of all tables where the Lord dines us, and that is the last supper table. Look at Mark chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. And he sent out two of his disciples. This is Jesus. And he said to them, go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. So Jesus prepared a table for them. Not only did he prepare a table, he prepared a room for them, and it was fully furnished. You see, when God wants to bless you, sometimes he'll show off for his own glory. Sometimes God will just, and it just makes no sense. At, he'll just, he's a blessing kind of a God. Now, we just don't hang on to that aspect because some of us, when we see God do that kind of stuff, we want to make God be that way and we end up having a kind of God that's, a, uh, give, give me some fancy name brands. Uh, uh, what's some fancy name brand? Uh, Michael Kors, that, that ain't fancy enough. You can find that at Target. Uh, uh, Louis Vuitton, you know. Yeah, yeah, God, is, he'll Louis Vuitton you sometime, but he'll also Home Depot you too. So now don't, don't try to go all over here to Louis Vuitton, you know. He'll do that every now and then, every now and then. But a lot of times he hangs out at Home Depot. He just hooks you up on the regular. <laughs> it's basic. Receive it. Praise God. But Jesus said, this time with my boys, the last supper, oh, this room is going to be furnished. This table is going to be laid out. John chapter 13, verse 25. Let's go back to this table. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. Speaking of who the betrayer is. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan, the enemy, entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And even as I was reading that this week, when it says, and Jesus said to him, was he speaking to Judas or was he speaking to Satan who was now in Judas? I guess it really doesn't matter because at that point, 
Judas became Satan's tool. And later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, it says that when Judas went out, it was night. And that was John, the writer's way of letting you know that once again, the time of evil was setting. It was Satan's time at that time. But even though Satan was at the table with the disciples and Jesus, and he got there through Judas, he also was at the table asking Jesus to sift Peter. Spiritual warfare was going on, and Jesus ended up telling Peter of a conversation that he had with Satan. All of this is going on at the table while they're dining at the table before Jesus gives his body and his blood as the new covenant. Jesus lets the enemy at the table but even though the enemy is at the table, somebody better be thankful that the enemy could not stop the purposes of God. Amen. He did everything he could to stop the cross, but he could not stop the cross. And so in Matthew chapter 26, Judas shows up. Let's read that. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So even in this moment, Jesus teaches us how to love our enemies. Because remember, he preached on that, and that's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So he lived it out. When Judas came up, Jesus didn't curse Judas. He called him a friend. So I want to encourage you that no matter who your enemies are, don't treat them with disdain and disgust. Treat them with love. Love them the way the Lord loved you when you were his enemy. Pray for them. Bless them. Don't curse them back. Love them. Let the fruit of the Spirit come through you, and the foremost fruit is love. Jesus showed love to Judas right there in that moment when he called him friend. And I believe Jesus was giving Judas one more time to repent because he was giving him a soft answer. And Judas did not respond. And that's all you can do is just love people as well as you can, and only God can touch someone's heart. Now, I need to say this. Satan was present at that table through Judas. Now, Satan cannot possess a Christian, but he can certainly impress upon one to do his bidding. Remember when Jesus had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan? Now, he wasn't saying that Peter was Satan. No, Peter was being influenced by Satan because he had in mind the things of men and not the things of God. And so there are times we can come under a selfish influence. We can be about man's agenda, a worldly thing, and we're coming under the influence of the enemy. And so Satan can't possess Christians, but he can certainly impress upon us to do his bidding. And when the Lord shows me when I've given the enemy a foothold through anger or I've given him a foothold through unforgiveness or through pride, let me repent right away. If it's through gossip, Lord, let me repent right away because I don't want to give Satan an opportunity to use me for his own bidding. And Judas, of course, was not only impressed, but he, it was a different story, was possessed of Satan. So whether you're and your enemies are watching you from a distance or the Lord allows them to come to the table, the enemy cannot stop what God has for 
you. Please hear that today. So in conclusion, whether they watch you from a distance or eat with you at the table, your enemies can't stop you. Your focus should be on who is for you and not on who is against you. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it doesn't mean they won't try. But them against the Lord, that's really not a battle. So I'm focusing more on who is for me as opposed to who is against me. Because my enemies, I love them, but I'm not going to give them that much of my time and energy because really they don't deserve it. God deserves my time and my energy. So as I dine with the one who sets that table for me, especially the table of his body and his blood, I'm focusing on him, not being preoccupied with Satan. I know he's real, but I'm not preoccupied with Satan. And I know I have enemies and you have enemies. But don't focus on them. Focus on the one who is for you and the one who has prepared a table before you. Enjoy your dining experience with your shepherd at the table of grace. Well, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I need you to stand to your feet. I want to pray. I want to pray. But I also want to extend an invitation. Because the word went out and I know it was a lot to chew on. I pray you'll take a chance to listen to it later this week. But this stuff is real. Spiritual warfare is real. The Psalms are inundated with these kinds of topics, especially written by David, asking the Lord to protect him and keep him from his enemies. It's real. So even as he writes that, and I know this Psalm is a rich poetic Psalm and we love to recite it, it's just not a cute little thing. This is a real thing. And I encourage you as I encourage myself, let us be preoccupied with the shepherd not with ourselves, not with our enemies or with the enemy himself, but with Jesus Christ. But as I open up this altar before we pray and, and have the benediction, I want to ask some of you know who your enemies are. I mean, it, it's not a nebulous thing. It's not, you know, you know who has it out for you. You know who is talking about you. You know who wants to see you fail, who is hurtful. But I want to encourage you today to keep on praying for them. I want to encourage you to do what Jesus said, and that is to pray for them, to love them, to bless them. So if there's someone who wants to come during this prayer time as we leave, and you just want to pray today for your enemies, it could be your father, it could be your mother, it could be whomever, your boss on your job, pray for your enemy. Don't curse your enemy. Pray for your enemy because they're fighting a losing battle against you. Psalm 27, 2 says, When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. They can't stop you. Pray for them that God will have mercy. And don't be arrogant because you can fall as well. But then also as we pray, maybe you are an enemy towards someone. Maybe you've been a hater towards someone on your job. Maybe you've been ruled by jealousy. Maybe this thing is tormenting you so much 
that you've tried everything you can to get rid of this angst that you have towards that. Every time you see them, your stomach gets upset. Well, the Lord may just want you to confess it and repent of it. Because you can't get well if you don't admit that you have a sickness. And my sickness is brother so-and-so. My sickness is sister so-and-so. My sickness is President Obama. There are people who just hate the president. It's not good for us as Christians to hate anybody. No matter who it is or what it is, confess it and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And if it's proper, maybe you need to go and apologize to that person and say, please forgive me. I was acting foolishly against you. We'll take two minutes. The invitation has gone out. If there's someone that needs to pray for an enemy, if there's someone who says, I've been an enemy and I need to repent, whatever it is, let's just come and pray before the Lord, and then we'll receive our benediction. Come join me at the